Hello and welcome to episode 9 of the episodic series of Fire, Pain, and Ruin, a Rutherford Manor novel. We are getting close to halfway done the book. It's uh, 40 chapters and we're on chapter 17 is where we are starting off because last week we were on episode 8 where, let me pull this up. Oh yeah, things weren't looking very good. Um, Well, the twins actually got to spend some time with the midwives and they learned some really cool stuff because the midwives are independent. They make their own choices, which is kind of rare for that time period. And they denounce God. That's not a common thing that people did back then. And you kind of got to see they had some mystical abilities that they said was a prank. And the twins weren't too sure because it uh, seemed magical. And then uh, chapter 16, Spaulding had gotten into a fight with Penny and let out some steam at Fight Club. And unfortunately, a ghost of his past showed up. Irene. The mobster from The White Hand. And if you read The White Hand, the prequel, she had a role in that. And she has made an uh, appearance again in this book. And Spaulding is in a really bad place. And Irene seduced him. Uh, and they left. Jacob saw. Jacob uh, didn't say anything. So that's kind of where we left off. And uh, we're about to jump into... What happens with Irene and Spaulding? Heads up, we've got a steamy scene coming up. So if your speakers are loud and you don't want people to hear it, uh, maybe turn them down or let them hear it. I don't know. Whatever your household is like or wherever the hell you're listening this from. So, so with that, let's get into the next chapter and find out what happens with Spaulding. Chapter 17. Holy. Firm hands collapsed onto cheeks as two bodies slammed against the dresser. The heavy piece of furniture bumped against the wall, causing the lamp to wobble. Lips smothered against one another as saliva was exchanged. Tongues coiled. Heavy panting. Groans. Shirts were half undone in a hurry to get to the skin. Elegant hands moved down the man's torso, unbuckling his trousers and pulling out his cock. A familiar touch from an affair long ago. Rising. Pleasure and madness, stiff. The hand served as a guide, leading him toward what he wanted most and away from who he needed to be. Ready. The whiskery mouth moved down to the woman's neck, kissing her all over, moaning. His hands glided over her trousers. Thrown off, panties chucked aside, legs up and curtains open. Come on in. The dresser banged against the wall as he thrust into her. The two exhaled with satisfaction with each beat, ever reaching ecstasy. Oh, Spaulding! The redhead cried as she held onto her hat. That was the sound he wanted. A pleasured woman that he played like a finely tuned instrument. He knew she liked it. He felt it inside as their bodies tangled into one erotic sweaty mess. The lamp fell to the ground as Spaulding slid his hand under the back of her shirt to undo her bra. Their rhythmic motion caused Irene to slide off the dresser and she wrapped her legs around him. He gripped her, pinning her to the wall. She placed her arms onto his shoulders, holding onto his back tightly. Sweat ran down Spaulding's face. Droplets drizzled down Irene's neck. Faster. Irene screamed, nails digging into his back. He didn't stop, hands on her thighs. Eye contact. 
Irene continued to moan with each push she gave her. Time stood still. Breathing stopped. Their forms remained frozen. This was the spark. Connection. The pleasure of wanting to be wanted. No, being needed. That was why Irene had come to Rowley. They were fused as one. All sensations focused into the singularity. Bliss. Spaulding slammed his forehead into the wall, mid-ejaculation with a loud groan, panting. Irene loosened her grip on his back, transforming it into a gentle touch as she continued to exhale heavily. The moment passed. Lustful desires came to a finish. He gripped her legs, moving her to the bed and tossing her onto the sheets. Spaulding collapsed beside her, hand on his stomach, staring at the ceiling. No, he thought. The moment of clarity. As with every release, brief but true. After things always made sense, there was no more clouded judgment or emotional frustration. There is only rational reasoning. He had made an irreversible mistake. Irene let out a whine. She slid her legs under the sheets while grabbing hold of her own body. You still have it, honey. Yeah, Spaulding said with a sigh. He could deal with these dreadful thoughts later. He was already in the shit and might as well enjoy it while it lasted. You're just what I remember. Irene rolled over, placing her hand onto Spaulding's stomach, slowly stroking his pectoral muscles with her thumb. She stared at him with glazed over eyes. Where have you been all this time? I've been with nothing but goons and fools for the past decade. Still in Rowley, Spaulding said. You? Chicago. For the past decade? What about you? You can't tell me you've been just working at that butcher shop. The Spaulding I knew was a man of action. You were always up to no good. I like that about you. She rested her head on his chest, breathing gently. He was caught off guard by the gesture. Who was this? The sex was the same. Her attitude was as before, but this affection was new. Time had a way of changing people. Perhaps the fire in her was beginning to die down. Maybe she realized that when she stood him up, she made a mistake. Now, she'd come crawling back to him. Idiot. The last time I saw you was, well, it was when Knox killed Niles, Irene said. About that, Spaulding started. That is not how I meant for any of that to go. You have to understand me. What was that? I knew you had a dark side, but I had no idea that... Irene sniffled. Was she getting emotional? Time had done a number on her. She was a little older, her skin wasn't quite as tight, but that was just age. Something else had changed inside her. Irene cleared her throat. Who are you really, Spaulding? Spaulding eyed the redhead that rested on his chest. She gently ran her hand up and down his stomach, staring at his flopped over junk. That's a complicated question. Try me. What you saw with Knox and Niles was not me. I mean, it was. My core is devoted to the family and duty. I also follow a form of honor. I couldn't leave Knox alone. These are all things my father taught me about. Why does it matter to her? Spaulding thought. Here he was, opening up to a ghost of the past. This wasn't his wife. This gal had taken him on a whirlwind of a ride in a different lifetime. She'd stood him up. He'd moved on. He'd found a way to deal with his own emotions, without her. Yet, 
she still had some mystical power over his will. I can't be here, Spalding thought. Those are good traits, Irene said. I wish I had known more men like that. Think I made a mistake when I... She stopped, but they both knew what she was going to say. Irene was opening her heart. It was so clear. The number of broads he had been with in the past made him attuned to know when a gal was about to dump everything onto him. Whatever Irene had gone through for the past decade made her realize Spalding was not like other men. She wanted him back. I have to go, Spalding said, sitting up. Irene scooted over. What? Go now? It's late. Spalding stood up from the bed, pulling up his trousers and buckling them up. Yeah, he said. I have to go. Stay, Irene said while patting the bedside. Maybe we can sneak in another brush. Spalding leaned down for his shirt and paused, staring at the hot mess that was Irene. Her hair was tousled. Her shirt was half on, breasts exposed. Pale legs stuck out from the sheets. She was oozing of his deepest longings. He couldn't. Not a chance, Spalding said, snatching up his shirt and then the rest of his belongings. Just like that, Irene said in disbelief. You're leaving. Spalding placed his hat on his head. Yeah, he put on his coat. I guess it's a taste of your own medicine, Spalding said. Fuck you, Irene shouted. He had to get back to his family. Without saying anything more, Spalding hurried out of the inn room, closing the door. He heard something hit the wood as it shut. Maybe she'd thrown her shoe. Whatever it was, it could all stay in that room of sin. This was his dark secret. Jacob knew, but he wouldn't go rat to Spalding's wife. Spalding hurried out of the inn and down the stairs onto the night streets of Rowley. It had been close to midnight. People were still wandering about, mostly to and from the pubs. The moon was full, cloudless. Lampposts held lanterns lit up with gasoline. What a fool. He'd just proven himself to be unfaithful to Penny. He had a moment of weakness and went for what he wanted without thinking about repercussions. How would he handle this? Would anyone find out? Not even that. He felt it burn into his soul. He was preaching about honor and duty to some vamp he was laying with. He didn't have honor. He'd spruced off like a simp. Spalding put his hands in his pocket and stormed down the street. He could feel the liquor wearing off. He was dehydrated, whacked, and had to get to his horse to get the hell out of here. Spalding was already late to get home. Not really. He could say it was a late night at Fight Club. Penny would buy that. It had happened before. Here he was, making up lies to his wife. This was who he had become. He was in a panic. His first instinct was to bottle this dark secret up and get back home. He had done this his whole life, especially for the better part of the resurrectionist business. He'd continually rolled the dice, hoping the authorities wouldn't find out what they were doing. The stakes were higher this time. His family's well-being came before the law. He passed a familiar church as he walked down the street, Father Isaac's Hope Baptist Church. The light was on. Father Isaac was there, the voice of reason. The man had always known about Rutherford Manor's unconventional ways, to some degree. Spalding truthfully never knew how close Father Isaac had been to Alistair. Regardless, the priest was a man of God, and Spalding could use someone to talk to. Maybe he could borrow a washcloth to get Irene's stench off of him. Shit, Spalding thought. He shifted direction to the church, 
walking up to the doors and pushing them open. Candles provided light in the dim room. He hurried down the aisle to the end, where the podium was. Looking around, he could see Father Isaac anywhere. Father Isaac? Spaulding called out. Moments later, the old man emerged from the hall off to the side. He wasn't dressed in his priest gown. He had a black shirt, half buttoned up, and cotton pants held up by a string lace. Spaulding? Father Isaac said. It's so late. I can see that, Spaulding said. What brings you here? How about that drink? Spaulding said. Father Isaac stared at him for a moment, then nodded. He could obviously piece together that something wasn't right with Spaulding. Before today, Spaulding had never come barging into the house of God, asking for a drink. That was poor-mannered and disrespectful to Father Isaac and God, if he existed. The priest disappeared back down the hall and returned wearing more presentable pants and a commoner shirt that was fully buttoned up. They left the church and marched to the closest pub. Mind telling me what is going on? Father Isaac asked along the way. I think I made a big mistake, Spaulding said. Oh? Father Isaac asked. Shouldn't this be something you talked to Father Haywood for? You did change churches after all. You said you didn't have bitter feelings about that. Father Isaac chuckled. Yes, I did. My apologies. This is not the time to rattle your cage. Good one, Spaulding said. I think I truly made a mistake. Spaulding and Father Isaac reached the pub, pushed the saloon-style doors open and walked over to the bar. The two men each took a seat, Spaulding resting both arms on the counter. Whiskey? Spaulding asked. That kind of a night, Father Isaac said. Let's have a drink. I'll get it for you, Spaulding said. The least I can do. The thin bartender came over to Spaulding. He was young, probably Spaulding's age when he'd first met Irene. Damn it, he needed to get that all out of his head. He felt sick. Maybe a drink would help him wash away some of the disgusting feelings. Two whiskeys, Spaulding said, slamming some scratch on the bar. The bartender got two glasses and poured the whiskeys while taking the cash. So, Father Isaac said, taking a sip of his whiskey, tell me what happened. I haven't had quite the blank slate of a start I was hoping for with my family. Lay off beating around a dead horse, Spaulding. Get to the show, Father Isaac said. The priest's abruptness surprised Spaulding. Usually, religious leaders were kind-hearted people who listened to what one had to say. But Father Isaac was pulling the no-bullshit card. Well, a ghost from my past came back to haunt me. I mean, to get to the point, I was unfaithful to my wife. Spaulding felt his gag reflex kick in, and he coughed trying to force the regret back down. It was hard to swallow. And why might have you done that? Father Isaac asked. I don't know. Moment of weakness? I don't know why most people do what they do. I suppose home life hasn't been easy. Penny hasn't been around much. She's distant. She is physically in the room, but the intimacy is gone. The passion is lacking. She's become very self-absorbed. Her... Her episodes have gotten more frequent. We haven't shared a night together in months. If it weren't for tonight, you'd be well on your way to becoming a man of God yourself with that kind of chastity, Father Isaac said. I didn't take you for one with such a sense of humor, 
Spalding said while taking a long sip. We're having a drink, aren't we? Father Isaac said. The heart is a tricky thing, Spalding. If I told you I was perfect and followed the Lord's way to a T, I'm sure you'd call me out on it. Why do you think we are here right now? True enough, Spalding said. Have you done anything like this? Of equal gravity, maybe worse, Father Isaac shrugged. It's called being human. You made a mistake. You must confess to the Lord for your sins. What about Penny? What about my children? I'm supposed to be their father, a man who puts his family first. I just pushed them aside. The bartender eyed the two men. Spalding realized he was maybe getting a little too heated in the conversation. It was difficult not to. He felt a mixture of frustration, sadness, and self-hatred. He was nothing that he claimed to be. He had just betrayed his family. The heart can lead us down troublesome paths that we aren't meant to travel, even if you know it. Trials, if you will. The heart leads true, yet it is incredibly naive. That is where the mind comes in to rescue the heart. Yeah, well, it didn't come to help me this time, Spalding said. We all fall from grace. Don't beat yourself up about it. Spalding took a drink. Not exactly sympathetic right now, Father Isaac shrugged. Never did I think I'd be sharing a drink with you, Spalding admitted. Father Isaac let out a sigh and reached into his pocket, pulling out a cigarette. He handed one to Spalding and lit a match, holding it up to one, then the other. Perhaps I've been asking too many big questions. The Holy Bible, the Word of God, it is a magnificent piece. There's much to live by through it. It also raises many questions. Suffering, misery, children die, people starve to death, or a smaller example would be your case. If God is all loving, why did these things happen? And for that matter, why did Alistair die? He was a good man to his family. Why did he have to get so poor and resort to such levels of inhumanity to beat starvation? Could he? Spalding thought. What levels? He asked cautiously. Father Isaac took a sip of his whiskey and then a puff of his cigarette. I don't think we're in an appropriate place to discuss it. We're in public, remember? Besides, do you want to relive that memory? Look how reliving your last ghost went. He knew. Father Isaac was fully aware of the depths that Alistair and Spalding had descended to so they could save Rutherford Manor. Father Isaac had never told anyone, keeping the fleshers and the savages secret. Spalding could only wonder what else the old man knew. Alistair told me a lot. We had a bond. I think his death was cruel. That's not the work of God. It is the work of something much more real. Evil. So, you could say I'm losing my faith. I think that's true in the Christian sense. The more I ponder over it, the more I believe my understanding of faith has broadened. I think God has very little to do with day-to-day -day interactions. I think he also has very little to do with catastrophes as well. He's not concerned about our small level of suffering in this existence. What we have here in this life is simply a series of random events. That I'd agree with, Spalding said. I was never much of a believer in God. Yet you bring your family to church every Sunday. Yeah, 
It's the image that helps. I think it's good for the girls to understand the morals that the Bible teaches. Perhaps you should listen to those morals yourself. Then you wouldn't find yourself whining to me over a glass of whiskey. I do, Spaulding said. I always put my family first. It was just a moment of weakness. Good. You've come to terms with that. What do you hold close to your heart? Family. My father taught me honor and duty. It's the highest of high, and I couldn't follow it. Yet you babble about it. Perhaps now you should practice what you preach. Don't spruce off with some floozy. Father Isaac poured the remaining liquor down his throat, slamming the empty glass onto the bar top. Sounds like you know exactly what to do with that ghost. Chapter 18 A Better Option Our daily actions come with their own trials. Each and every one of us goes through our own hardships. God does everything in his power to guide us to the light. Sin is a constant temptress that drives us away from the teachings of Christ. This is where we call on the Lord's strength to help us through these difficult times. Even one that we've experienced many times before can turn our lives upside down before we know it. This is why God has to be in our lives. He guides us free of sin. He is the way, the truth, the light. More rambles. Father Haywood had a special talent for going on tangents that really didn't mean anything. It was like he enjoyed torturing people. Every Sunday, everyone had to sit there and follow along with his mundane, pointless rambles. Mom and father seemed to enjoy making their children suffer through it. So here they were, another Sunday morning. Lisa sighed. Louise fiddled with her fingernails. They did their best not to raise their parents' suspicion. If their parents had any clue how intolerable they found church, they would probably be forced to join in on some of the additional activities of the chapel, like Bible study or something stupid. Louise's sister stared at that Samuel boy. The two of them were exchanging glances, smiling. He winked. Disgusting. Lisa seemed to embrace whatever she felt for this boy, even more so lately. Louise wasn't exactly sure why. She didn't like the fact that Lisa was starting to focus her energy more on him and less on what they did as sisters. On the contrary, it was probably only a matter of time before Louise felt something for some boy. She found that hard to believe. The boys in this town just seemed goofy. The desires of sin. Father Haywood said, trailing into a long pause. He eyed the entire crowd. He shifted in his stance, gripping the podium tightly. Mom stared blankly forward. Whatever ramble Father Haywood was about to embark on was obviously resonating with Mom. Father looked pretty interested too. Louise, however, was not. Listening to the priest's bull seemed like a waste of time. Louise leaned over to her sister and whispered, Hey, maybe outside? Lisa raised her eyebrow. Do you think we can escape? Lisa asked. Mom and father will know. I'll go first, and you go after. It worked last week with you and Samuel. Yeah, Lisa whispered back. Let's do it then, Louise said. She leaned over and tugged on mom's dress. 
What? Mom asked, looking down at her. Can I use the washroom? Louise asked. Okay, Mom said. Don't be too long. Father Haywood is in the middle of his lesson for the day. I won't be, Louise said. With that, she excused herself out of the pew and down the aisle, passing Killer Annie, who was seated in the last pew. The old thing smiled at her. Louise put on the fake friendly smile. Louise pushed the doors leading out into the main hall. That was it. She was free. Now, Lisa just had to escape. Once Lisa was able to excuse herself, then they could play tag or maybe explore the area around the back of the church. Anything was better than sitting there. She wandered down the hall, eyeing the stained glass. The main hall doors were closed shut. She was alone now, waiting for her sister. She admired the beauty of the building. Shame that the activities here were so bland. To her, this place would make a better clubhouse. Louise pushed open the second door leading outside, shielding her eyes from the bright sun. She stood off to the side of the stairs leading to the road. Her eyes wandered to the trees in the front yard, watching as the leaves blew in the wind. She thought about the midwives and the strange wonders they had shown the twins in the forest. They'd pulled a prank, but Louise still couldn't help but wonder if it was magic. Those ladies were full of mystery. Perhaps Louise would be like them one day, making her own decisions and harnessing her own power. Come on, Louise thought while tapping her foot. What was taking Lisa so long? She should have asked to go to the washroom and that would have been it. Oh well. At least Louise didn't have to listen to Father Awood. Standing out here in the sun was better. Louise? A man's deep voice spoke her name, causing Louise to jump, and she turned around. There was a tall man with slicked back hair standing by the door. Mr. Connors, I mean Maxwell, Louise said, turning to face him. Why aren't you inside? Father Hayward has many things to share with us about the way of God. Mr. Connor said, walking toward her. I had to go to the washroom, Louise said. That's why you're outside, Mr. Connor said with a smile. Louise realized she wasn't fooling him. He was onto her. Okay, I don't really find it interesting. How come? It seems to be more for adults. You're practically one, Mr. Connor said. He took a step forward and placed his hand on her back. Come, you'd best catch the last bit of what Father Haywood has to say. The more you listen, the more it starts to make sense. He gently pushed on her, forcing her to move forward. His hand moved down her spine, stopping just above her hip. It was a little farther down than what she was used to. Most of the time, Mum would grab her upper arm, or Father would push her from the shoulder blades. Not Mr. Connors. His hand was much lower. She'd seen gentlemen place their hand on women this way. He was treating her like a lady. It was polite and unusual. Louise wasn't a lady, at least she didn't think so. Still, she certainly experienced womanhood once a month. You are one of a kind, Louise, Mr. Connors said while guiding her to the door. You think for yourself. Like I said before, those are good traits. Men like that in a woman. Louise touched her hair. Thanks, she said. His thumb lightly rubbed her lower back before letting her go to push open the door. Please, after you. 
Louise stepped into the foyer of the church. It took a moment for her eyes to adjust to the dim lighting. Lisa stood just outside of the main hall. Her sister's smile faded when she saw Maxwell walking behind her. You too, Mr. Connor said. Both of you savage girls don't want to listen to Father Haywood, do you? I had to go to the washroom, Lisa lied. I'm sure you did, Mr. Connor said. Come now, let's get back to the hall. He waved his hands. Louise hurried to Lisa's side as her sister spoke. There goes that plan. Yeah, Louise said. The three of them entered the main hall, and the girls returned to the pew with their parents. Mom watched them with eagle eyes. That was not a good sign. Mom knew exactly what they were trying to do. They would certainly hear more about this. Lisa went into the pew first, followed by Louise. Mom leaned down. Don't ever lie, she whispered harshly, emphasizing each word. That was just the beginning. Louise knew Mom had a lot more in store for them when they got back to Rutherford Manor. Apparently, out of everything in their lives, church was the most important thing they had to do. Louise watched Father Haywood for a moment, but quickly lost interest. Her gaze wandered off to the other side of the pews where the Connors family sat. Mr. Connors was beside his wife, watching Father Haywood, his arm around her. He looked over and smiled. Then he brought his focus back to Father Haywood. This was a strange feeling. Maybe Lisa would understand, sort of. She liked that Samuel boy, but this was different. She didn't like Mr. Connors that way. That would be silly. He only made her feel special. Louise wanted to understand what she was experiencing. Growing up was complicated. Thank you again, everyone, Father Haywood said. As always, donations are in the back of the room. Finally, church was over. The attendees got up from the pews and slowly shuffled into the aisles and towards the door. Some groups talked to one another while others generously dropped money into the donation box. The savages scooted out of the pews, down the hall, and into the main foyer. Mom grabbed both Lisa and Louise roughly, firmly gripping their arms. Don't you ever do that again, she scolded. Penny, father said. His mouth frowned, eyes sagged. You must be working too much. Save it for home. I'm sorry, Lisa said. It won't happen again, Louise said. She knew it was pointless to apologize to mom. She would punish them as she wanted. Louise knew the game. Suck up to mom until she left them alone. You will be sorry, mom said. Spalding? Listen to your mom, Spalding said in a soft tone. Dinner with the savages, came Mr. Connor's voice as he and his family entered the foyer. Mrs. Connors, Edward, and Susie walked in front of him. Hi, Susie said, waving at Louise. Hey, Louise said. Susie went up to Louise as the families merged. She whispered, Did you just try and escape? Louise put on a wicked grin. Yeah, did you see? Yeah, my brother did too. Yeah, well, church is boring, Louise said. It didn't matter if mom was going to scold them for it. Louise stood by her opinion. She did her own thing, just like the midwives. Women could make their own choices. Louise was mature, apparently. That's nuts, Edward said with a smile. The boys' sudden enthusiasm was incongruent with their conversation, but Louise played it cool. Yeah, 
Maybe that's what I am, Louise said. The Connors kids seemed entranced by Louise's rebellious nature. She was a savage. Father had always been the adventurous type. It was in her bloodline. Intuition. Too bad you got caught, Susie said. Dad was doing what was right, Edward said. Don't be a goof, Lisa said. Your dad ruined it for us. Edward scratched his head. He just wants us to pay attention. Yeah, and that ruined the fun, Lisa said. She looked at Louise for confirmation. Yeah, Louise said. She briefly thought back to Mr. Connors finding her outside. She wanted to know why he was outside as well. Coincidentally, he'd happened to be there to rope her and Lisa back into the main hall. Out of all the people that were at church, he had been the one to realize that she was trying to play hooky. Shortly after six sound good? Mr. Connors asked. Yes, Mum said. We're looking forward to it. Likewise, Mr. Connors said. He bowed slightly to Mum and Father. Then he stood up saying, We are thrilled for it. With that, the Connors family was gone. That left Lisa and Louise with Mom and Father. Mom, the wrathbringer of punishment. Father, who would let Mom unleash her will upon the twins, condemned for not conforming. And that is the end of episode 9 for the episodic Fire, Pain, and Ruin, a Rutherford Manor novel audiobook. Uh, things are getting heated. Uh, Spalding sure fucked up there. Uh, and we know that Father Isaac knows a lot more than he uh, let on. So Spalding's kind of got a new ally, but man, he, he's got to keep that secret down. And then whatever the hell is going on with Louise and the uh, Mr. Connors, it's getting weirder as things go on. A little troublesome. And I guess if we want to know what happens, we got to find out in episode 10. Or if you do want to jump ahead and just can't wait, you can grab Fire, Pain, and Ruin in print and ebook on Amazon. And uh, if you did enjoy this, do share with your friends. We'll be back next week. And if you haven't, feel free to check out my Patreon. There is a new monthly short story every month, and uh, along with other goodies. So thank you for watching, and I'll catch you next week. Ciao.